Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. <gasps> yeah, yeah. Superstar, 
Bill Dundee. How are you tonight, sir? Chris, I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. It's great. It's great to speak with you tonight. You too. Awesome. So, how's your day been? Uh, did you have anything uh, specifically other than right now? Have anything specifically on your agenda for today? Did you just relax? And no, we started off day? raining in the morning, and it got nicer as the day went on. I went to the gym, worked out, and then I came home and didn't really do nothing. Just loafed around waiting on tonight. Yeah, awesome. So how's your workout routine these days? I know that uh, conditioning was so – strength and conditioning is something that a lot of people don't understand how much is important to have in the wrestling business How's your workouts nowadays? Well, there's no heavy weights no more. I you know, use a whole lot lighter weights, and I ride my bike and things like that. So the conditioning part, I'm not trying to be big and strong no more. I used to try to bench press 300 pounds. Now I'm looking if I can do 100 pounds, but you know what I mean. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how was it back then? I know that, uh, you know, you uh, – had some really good um, uh, trainers uh, becoming a pro wrestler. How rigorous was the training uh, back when you started? Well, I started off as a kid. I was kind of like Ronda Rousey in the MMA. I started off in judo. My uncle had a judo school in Scotland. When I was 12, I started off doing judo, and I did that when I was about 16. And it was the same thing. The air conditioning, you had to be in shape and all that. Then I... So I used to watch wrestling on Adrian Streets and Billy Robertson and all them guys were wrestling on English TV when I lived in Scotland. It would come on Saturday afternoon and I would watch them. They were all younger. Yeah. And then I went to my uncle's judo school and there was two guys working out and he said, they're professional wrestlers. And I thought, they are? So I watched them and I thought, well, I can whoop any one of them. So it's in my head, but anyway. I went up and talked to them. They said, well, you're really too small to be a wrestler. But they weren't giants either. They were maybe 5'10", 210 pounds. I was 5'7", and 180 pounds. But anyway, it was good for the judo, and that's how I got my first talk to a professional wrestler. Then when I moved to Australia, yeah, I moved yeah. in about next door to a guy that had a unarmed combat school. He taught you how to fight with a knife and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I went there and learned and was doing that. And I saw a poster on the wall, and it was him and his brother was wrestling professional. I said, you a professional wrestler? He said, yeah. I said, would you teach me to do that? He said, Bill, I think you're a little small. I said, well, I can't get no taller, but I'll get thicker. So I started lifting heavy weights and squatting and doing all the things to put weight on. So I got from 180 pounds up to about 205, and I thought I was a giant then. So a guy by the name of Hal Morgan used to run the club circuit up there, and so we worked for him and then I met George Barnes and then Jim Barnett came to come on when he had Atlanta wrestling but he brought it to Australia and he just called it championship wrestling so he liked me and Barnes so we worked for him then they brought Bobby Shane over he was the booker and he says you guys need to go to Tennessee you're about the right size they'd like you there so he got in touch with Jerry Jarrett and the rest is history. Here we are, 1975. We arrived in Nashville, Tennessee, and we got over real good. The first month I was in town, we were selling at Memphis, so we got going real good as a heel tag team. And then George got homesick, went home, 
I stayed to switch me a good guy, and here we are. Wow. So what was it about wrestling that you knew that this was it for you? This was, was this, you know, it just kind of, it seemed like it just kind of fell uh, in your lap as far as just the career is concerned. Now, right. What, you know, how, how that, you, you, I mean, it was a great story that you just, uh, you just explained, but you know, how, what was it about wrestling that really compelled you to know that this is it for me? You didn't have to worry about anybody else. Yeah. And the same as judo, it was you against the other guy. One-on-one, you didn't have to worry about 10 teammates doing their part to, so your team could win. You was your own team one-on-one. I like one-on-one stuff. So I didn't worry about nine other guys having to help me win a ball game. I would just go out there and do my judo thing and win. And I got amateur wrestling, I'd do that too. So the one-on-one, I think it was. And that way you can go and do your own thing by yourself. You don't have to worry about nobody else. Yeah. Now you were oh, in your thirties. Yeah. You were in your thirties when you came to the States, right? Thirty two. Luke eighteen. Wow. So what made so you come to the States? Better opportunity? Yeah, Jerry Jarrett got his book well Bobby Shane called Jerry Jarrett on the phone from Australia and he got his book here and we came to Nashville to work for Nick Goulis. Well that's another story. Old Nick, he was not here no more, but you don't want to talk about people that ain't here to defend themselves, but Nick was like the old-time promoters. He'd tell you one thing and do another, but Jared was the booker, so he liked us, looked after us. We made money in Memphis. We sold out about the fourth week we was in, and it was real, you know, good. So it, it was good for me from the start. I can't knock nothing the better, but Jerry Jarrett was the booker, and he was the one that looked after me and Barnes, and we didn't have much to do with Nick. And then they split, and then Nick went out of business, and Jared took over the whole thing. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So, you, yeah, you did get a pretty pretty good break right right soon within uh, Memphis wrestling, and uh, especially in the AWA. So, how did your partnership with Jared in, in the Memphis territory allow you to get a break in the AWA? Well, it, it, Lawler kind of with you should. The South was ANWA, that was the National Wrestling Alliance, and that you had to use their champion. Well, Jerry Jarrett made a deal with, like, went up there and he knew Ganya and Nick Bonkwinkle. I thought Nick Bonkwinkle was a better champion than Ric Flair, so, I mean, that, that was food. Nick Nick had was a more class act than all, I thought. And we got hooked up with AWA so that we brought Nick in. And Lawler wrestled him a couple of times for the AWA belt. I worked against him. So then when it came time for the tag team, Lawler and I went up there and they put the belts on us. And we were the AWA tag team champs for a while. So that's how that all came about. Jerry Jarrett made an alliance with the AWA and not the NWA. And that's what we used in Memphis. Yeah. How was it working with Jerry? Jerry Lawler or Jerry Jarrett? Jerry Lawler. Oh, working with Lawler, but there's nobody does it better than me and Lawler. We, there's no other two people who've been in with the same territory as wrestled one another for 30 years and sold that more times than me and Jerry Lawler. Nobody. You can't name me two people that did it. Yeah, it was... Except me and Lawler. Now, Flair and Steamboat, they said, had a good run over in, in the Carolinas, but I wasn't there. I never saw none of that, but but it didn't go 30 years either. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, you and Lawler definitely made some big noise uh, in in the AWA territory. So, uh, now, it, it, yeah, it was, it was another thing. I mean, Lawler and me never hung around together. We didn't go out together. We didn't do nothing together. We was just a good business arrangement, either yeah. a tag team or against one another. And the people bought into the story, and it was that we didn't particularly care for one another. You're right, we didn't break bread every day. He didn't come to my house, and I didn't go to his. But respect-wise, in the wrestling ring, we had that for each other, and that's what it takes to draw money and make money. Yeah. Who do you usually travel with on the road? Well, I we worked I worked in office, so Jerry Jarrett and Eddie Marlin was the was the officer. So if you're the booker or the assistant booker or you're helping in the office or you're putting stuff together, you don't ride with the boys, you ride with the office. So Jerry Jarrett and Eddie Marlin and me would go to Memphis together, Louisville together. And if need be I'd go by myself. So it just you know but most of the time you know, you, you'd like somebody you get on with. Tommy Rich and I got along good together. When Tommy was in here, I rode with Tommy. So, you know, you just because you're in the same business, that don't mean you're going to live with everybody or just ride with them. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wildfire Tommy Rich. That's a blast from the past. So how was yeah, it working with Tommy from Rich? The past. Now, that boy was over like Rover when he first started, 18 years old, big old boy, he's about 6'2", 240 pounds, blonde hair. Girls yeah. thought he was second coming. So, anyway, he, he did good, and then him and I was tagged up, and we had a lot of fun together. Then he went off to Atlanta and worked for Barnett. Then he came back, and he was in and out both places. So, Tommy was a hell of a worker in his day, let me tell you. Yeah. Why do you think his uh, his NWA title run was so brief. I uh, like I said, we we had gone away from the NWA, so I don't know politics. Who knows what it was about? Yeah, yeah. the politics in this business is like any business. It's just it was politics there, so I don't really know how we got it or what happened. Yeah. So last year, I just started binge watching for hours Continental Wrestling Association and. Um, just, I mean, one of the top Memphis, you know, promotions in the 80s. And that's where so many people that we know, uh, as far as WWE stars, really had a chance to shine. And, you know, one of the best announcing teams was Lance Russell and Dave Brown. So how was yes, it working? In, in, yeah, absolutely. How was it working in the CWA? Well, like you just said, Lance Russell and Dave Brown was a was a was a great team. There was no real big hype to them. That you know, Vince today, but they yelled too loud. They they all they wanted to be excited all the time. Lance and Dave never got excited, and I think that was their the the, exactly. the way they did it. And and when yeah. I started, it takes a while to learn to do interviews. When I came here in 1975, we. You know, you you, you stutter and stammer, and Lawler was always a good talker, so I would be wrestling Lawler, and Lance would drag the interview out of me, so I'd take my hat off to him, and i thank him a lot for helping me in the first couple of years to do interviews, and Dave Brown, same way, so the, the, to me, the, they were the two best. Now, Gordon Soley was very good, and Gordon knew all the, the, the holds. I mean, you know, he would say, take the leg away and the, the chair will fall over and all that kind of thing. Take the head away and you can know what he, he knew all that kind of stuff, I think, more than Lance did. But he, he was, you know, 
he was very good in his own right, and Lance and Dave was very good in their own right. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I really was. Uh, I was. I was just blown away by just the uh, professionalism when I would hear some Memphis wrestling and this. You know, Lance Lance Russell with his typical promotion. Um, you know, during matches, you know, we got a we got a dandy in Evansville. You know, it's just yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's oh yeah, he never got flustered. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it'll, there'll be a couple of times where, you know, he'll have, you know, it'd be storyline purposes and he'll, you know, he'll have those moments where he kind of get off his rocker a little bit, but it just really fit so much into the program when he did make those moments, when he did have those moments, because, you know, it, it kind of drew heat to, you know, the heel at the time, you know, even to a, a another here, level. Here is the thing. Nobody talked like that back then. Nobody used them words to the announcer or said, draw heat or do this or do that. You just went out and made an interview and he just, he just talked all over what you was doing. Right. All this script writing bullshit that we're going on with today, Vince does, it's BS, man. I, I don't know. Well, that's what they say he does. I've never worked for the man, so I don't know, but. We, yeah. we just went out and winged it all. Whatever I felt about Jerry Lawler, I said. Whatever he felt about me, he said. And Lance and Dave were in the middle to pick up the pieces and put them together. Makes sense to the wrestling fans, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and, and we're very and, good at it. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And just, and just seems like that kind of freestyle, um, you know, uh, promo, you know, the promo cutting and just the talking right. on the mic. But it just seems like that type of freestyle. Here is the difference of today and when what we did. There is no history with Vince McMahon's with WWE and the people in it. How long have they all been there? What is the longest anybody has been there? Hogan's gone. Stone Cold's gone. The Undertaker's gone. So the, there's no real history to talk about and say, well, I remember when I wrestled this guy, or I did this, or two years ago you did this, or five years ago you did this. The, there's no history. They're talking about it, so somebody writes it and tells them what to say. Yeah. And if they yeah. were all that good, they would all be in Hollywood. But yeah. they're not, so they're professional wrestlers. They're not, you know, and, and it's just all different kettle of fish to what we did and we still kind of do it this way in Memphis so we tried it but there's no TV but if any live shows we do if you make an interview there's history to talk about there's no real history up there to talk about I can go on we talk about Jerry Lawler since 1975 to now Yeah. and things wow. that he's done and I've seen him do and what we've done and we haven't done they can't do that adventure show they haven't been around long enough Jackie yeah, Fargo, you could talk about Jackie Fargo, you could talk about Don and Al Green. All the guys had been here for years. And right. new new people would come in and leave. But you have the history. Yeah, and, and a lot of times what I notice is that you you know uh, a lot of times you don't get the people the opportunity to create be their own person. You know, I mean, create their own character because everything is just so kind of cookie cutter and kind of forced and kind of given to you. A lot of times nowadays compared to then, it's just you don't really get yourself an opportunity to to shine and become your own person. And I think that's one of the well, biggest right. things. That, I mean, I, I told the people I was five foot seven, 210 pounds. I never tried to tell them I was six foot eight and 300 pounds. 
I right. was what I was, and the people bought into the story, the David and Goliath deal. And I kind of would sometimes use that, and I'd say, well, the first book they ever wrote was the Bible, and the story in that is David and Goliath, and there David what Goliath, so size has nothing to do with it. And this is the South, the the, the Bible Belt, and they they buy that kind of stuff down here. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm a man, I'm a man of the cloth myself, so I agree with you. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. So, I mean, but see the history there? Everybody knows about David and Goliath. Yep. So if you talk about that, the people, the kids learn about it in Sunday school and school and church and all the things, so they know the story. Yep, and they can relate to it. Yes, they can. And here's another thing. If you're driving down the street and you see a bigger guy and a smaller guy fighting and you pull over to watch the fight, you'll... You'll end up cheering for the little guy and wish he wins. Exactly. That's just exactly. a natural reaction that we do for the underdog. Yep, absolutely. And I well was said. a good underdog in professional wrestling because I'm only five seven, two hundred and ten pounds. Yeah, yeah. You you know, watching. I've I've watched many, many, many matches that you've been in, and uh, you did a really good job uh, playing a babyface in the heel. So, which one was better to you? Which one did you like playing better, the babyface or the heel? I never really played in it. When I was the bad guy, I was the bad guy. So, I mean, and when I'm the good guy, I want everybody to love me. When I don't, I want, don't want nobody to like me. So, yeah. I would, my personality is more heelish. I'd mm. as soon tell you to go jump in the lake as want to kiss you. You know what I mean? It's just that's, that was my personality then. And as you get a little older, you soften up as the years go on. But I would rather be the bad guy. Mm. So there's been a speaking of CWA and I've like I said I've watched many many hours of uh, CWA uh, specifically last year I just you know I, I work out uh, just about every day and uh, a lot of times when I go into the gym I start off with about a half an hour of cardio half an hour forty five minutes of cardio and that's usually my time where I watch my wrestling history stuff and. I tell you what, man, just so many times within, you know, the gym, I, it becomes really my wrestling history haven uh, because I watch stuff like CWA and, you know, I watch many, you know, many matches that you were in and, and just how you were such a, a big name in CWA. And there were other names uh, back then in the eighties, uh, specifically the uh, later eighties, 87, 88, 89, that really got some traction in the CWA names like the undertaker. Of course, you know, he wasn't the undertaker at the time, but the undertaker, Sid, Jeff Jarrett, Scott Steiner, Tracy Smothers, Harvey Whippleman, which was uh, downtown Bruno, Bam Bam Bigelow. Yeah. yeah and, and other names. So how was it working with those names to, to know that, a handful of them will be future Hall of Famers. But there weren't names then. When when, when right. Mean Mark Callis, the Undertaker, was Mean Mean Mark Callis, he was just a big guy with freckles and red hair and a white skin. He never yep. looked nothing like the Undertaker until he got that gimmick from Vince McMahon. And you know he was a big old boy, but he he didn't have the the, the black hat and makeup on his face and rolling his eyes. That's what got him over as the Undertaker. Yep. If he'd been big, the same guy with red hair and freckles and white skin, do you think he would have got over? Nope, I don't. I don't think so. No, see what really I'm saying. So I knew talent. they were all coming in here when they first started. 
Yeah. They, they yep. didn't have no name recognition. The two names that they had to worry about here was Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee. Because if you didn't work with him or me, you was in the first match. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We were the stars how, here. How was it working with, like, how was his backstage demeanor? Did, did he seem hungry? Because, you know, he, he's gotten so much respect as being one of the generals backstage in the WWE. How was it, you know, back in the uh, the, the late 80s working with someone like The Undertaker at then? You know, he was just such a young kid at the time. But could you tell from his backstage and just his hunger, was there a drive that you can tell at that time even that this guy was destined to be a star? Well, I don't think it's that. That doesn't work. If somebody don't make you one, you can't be one. It's the same as in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. You can be the best worker in the world, the best wrestler in the world, and if the office don't get behind you or the booker don't get behind you, you ain't going nowhere. Mm -hmm. So they have to like you. Jerry Jarrett liked me and George Barnes when we come here, and he pushed us to the hilt, and George went home, and he wanted me as a baby face, and he pushed me. So the two guys that he pushed was Lawler and Dundee. The rest were just here. Mm-hmm. I just watched the match. As a matter of fact, somebody sent it to my computer, me and Stone Cold, but he was stunning Steve Austin and long blonde hair today. And yeah. it was in da- and, and when we was all in Dallas. Yeah, you can see the, the, the part coming through. Well, this guy's got what it takes to do what we do. Mm-hmm. But I didn't, you know, the, the, the Undertaker, when you're as big as him, you don't really have to have a lot of get up and go to eat you know because your size gets you over just to begin with mm-hmm. when you're five yeah. foot seven and 200 pounds you gotta work a little harder than them big guys let me tell you <laughs> yeah absolutely so yeah that's uh that's great did, did you do you ever remember having specific conversations with him and just kind of giving him the uh just kind of giving him some pointers no because mark was the kind of guy that didn't really want any <laughs> and there was something like that. I was like that. I never I mean if if Jackie Fargo came up to me and told me something that would be something. When I was in Australia, when when Mark Moon and King Curtis and Skull Murphy and Brute Bernard and that 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 crew back then would tell you something because they were the stars in America and you'd read about them in the magazine and you knew who they were. You, they would come up and give you pointers. You would listen to him, but you know most most guys that get in this business are egotistical to start with, and they really think they're better than everybody else. And there's only a couple of us that really are, as Jerry Lawler and me, with this territory. Mm-hmm. So you know, but Mark was I I he was pretty quiet actually. He, he never said much to nobody. He just went and did his thing. Didn't you know tell him what you wanted, and he would do it. And then when he went to Vince, he became the Undertaker, and the rest is history. He's Vince's boy, so that's just how it is. Yeah, absolutely. So you worked with uh, you had two you had the opportunity to work with two promoters in the NWA WCW territory. You worked with both with Jim Crockett and with Ted Turner uh, when you were there. Uh, in the in the nineties, when you were um, the manager of the Blue Bloods, so no, your time. So was, I was Sir William with a, with a Lord Stephen Regal. With the Lord Stephen Regal, yeah, with 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 Stephen yeah. Regal. Who, the who, Blue Bloods was Bobby Eaton and, and Stan Lane and, and Jim Cornette, I think, managed them. Well, the Blue the Blue Bloods was William Regal and uh, Squire David Taylor, 
Yeah, that yeah, was, that and was then also, and also, yeah, that, that was, yeah, yeah I, then we, we made him Lord Regal. He wasn't getting over when he was just doing all them other gimmicks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So working with Jim Crockett, how, how was it working with, uh, with, you know, Jim Crockett? Well, he was actually working for Dusty. Dusty was the booker. And nothing happened that Dusty didn't want to happen, so it wasn't yet. The Crockett's may have paid you, but Dusty was the man. And I go, I like Dusty. I go along with him. I met him in Australia way back 40 years ago, so I knew him in Australia when him, Dick Murdoch, came to Australia as the yeah. Texas Outlaws. So I, I liked him, and I go over with him. And Dusty was, you know, Dusty was going to look after Dusty, so as long as you knew what he was dealing with, it, was, it wasn't hard to figure around him. Yeah. You're not getting over him, let's put it that way. And you work with them in Florida too, right? Yeah, and I went to Florida and we worked there and then but they were this that's when Crockett had it. Mm-hmm. And then when the, the then when from Crockett I went no, I went to Bill Watts first. When I booked Bill Watts to start in Louisiana, it was the best two years he ever had in in the history of his company. Yeah. I took yeah. Ricky and Robert and the Midnight Express and Jim Cornette. Bill Dundee, Dutch Mantel, Buddy Landell. I took a great crew of boys down there. And they'd never seen the smaller guys in Louisiana because Watts used all the monsters because he's big. But yeah. we went down there, set the place on fire, and it was the two best years he ever had. Yeah, absolutely. As far as Turner, um, you worked with Turner when you were Sir William managing uh, Stephen Reed. Yeah, well, that was... See, Bill Watts came in to take the book for... Turner, and he went. They went to a tour in England. He 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 saw Regal, and Regal could wrestle, and Watts likes wrestlers, so he brought him over here. And they didn't mm-hmm. know what to do with him. So I went. We Dusty Rhodes talked to me, and he said, "What we do with this kid?" I said, "Well, most Englishmen are lords." He said, "Well, let's make him Lord Stephen Regal, and we'll let Larry Sabisco manage him." And I said, "Dusty, why would we put?" Larry Regal, he don't know nothing about lords in England. I'm from Scotland. We know that the British thing fits together. He said, okay, you manage him. So that's how it came. There was no thought given to it. There was nothing, no big deal to make it work. It, so I just wanted the job to be managing. I liked Steve, so I managed yeah. him, and then we kind of tried to help him out how the American style was from the English. So it's a little different. Yeah. But anyway, he got over, and he's still there, so... What yeah, say? yeah, he's he's one of the most respected people backstage from a from a wrestler, you know, from a wrestling standpoint because of ex, his experience. So, so well, I would what, imagine that, that, but most he can whoop most of them back there. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've heard about that. Worker wise, he ain't he ain't as near the worker Jerry Lawler is, but he's a whole bit different kind of. You know, he's a better shooter than Lawler. That kind, you see what I'm saying? So oh, Regal yeah. can wrestle, wrestle. Yeah, yeah, I heard, so, I heard, uh, I heard about that. So I don't know if you were, are familiar with the incident that he had with Bill Goldberg uh, during uh, WCW time, but. Uh, you know, Bill Goldberg's a big, uh, intimidating guy, but uh, he 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 wrestled uh, Regal, and he kind of uh, got humbled a little bit with wrestling Regal. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely been a a very popular story of William Regal being one of the guys in the back that uh, is a pretty good shoot fighter. 
So what caused well, the, the, uh, the, 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 the most of them were like that Billy Robinson, Tony Charles. I mean, you had to let them wrestle, man. I learned, I had to let them wrestle. I did judo, like I told you. We all did shoot things before we go in this business. Yeah, yeah. And Regal learned the, the, the old the, the English style too. The place called Wigham. He's about one of the la- the last of them. There's no, that used to be the real bad place where all the shooters came from. Mm-hmm. And if you went there and you learned, that's where they taught you to shoot. Mm-hmm. And you know that, that doesn't happen today because it's a different world we live in. Yeah. But Regal would would have been about one of the last of them. So what caused Billy Robertson was one. Tony Charles was one. They could all break your leg if they wanted to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that you know, that'll humble you. Um, what caused the split when you, you know, after you uh, managed Regal, uh, I believe he went to um, team with Eaton, with Bobby Eaton, and then eventually David Taylor. Caused the split between you and the WCW at the time that they have, they didn't have anything else for you, or was it just a matter of? Just you know, it, it was just time for you to go. You felt that you. Uh, ooh, no, there was, it was an time idiot for you to come go. in and took over, and his name is uh, Bischoff. Eric Bischoff mm. took over, and he couldn't mm. get himself lost in the. Well, I was going to say, you know, can't cut, so can't say what I was going to say. But anyway, no, Bischoff never. I never got along with Bischoff or do the thing he. I don't know how he got the job, but I do know how he got the job, but that's a different story, too. So, anyway, mm-hmm. and he, I never cared for him. And then when Hogan came in, he kissed Hagen, Hogan's backside and followed him around like a little lap dog. So, he's mm-hmm. a very, very nice fellow. I can tell you that much. Wow. So, was it just a, so did Bischoff let you go at the time? Was it he didn't, he didn't see any, any use in you, unfortunately? Well, he let me, Mike Graham, Greg Gagne. There's about four or five of us he let go at the same time. See, you had to have a... It was all done on a budget. Mm-hmm. So if you promised this guy X amount of dollars, you had to come up with the dollars. And if you say that whatever they were going to spend a year on wrestling, if you had already budgeted it out or spent it, you had to get rid of somebody to bring somebody else in type thing. So he was spending money on Hogan and all, and Randy Savage and all the guys that he thought were great. And I guess Mike Graham, Ganya's son, and me, was, I guess he figured <laughs> weren't worth the salt they were paying us. So they took the three checks that we got, put it into one, and gave it to somebody else. Now that's the story I got. So Yeah. Yeah, it's that's pretty unfortunate. That happened. Yeah, that's pretty unfortunate. I, uh, I interviewed Greg Gagne a couple times last year. Yeah, he's one of the friends of the show, and um, yeah, just some amazing stories that were shared by Greg, and he he mentioned that as well. Just as far as just a kind of underhanded tactic that uh, he experienced as well. So I can definitely right. you know see that. Yeah, was it? Uh, that, that's a true story. That, no, there's none of us making that up. That actually happened. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, it's definitely pretty tough. So, did you uh, did you have any desire to work for Vince McMahon at all? Uh, you would have to say you'd be an idiot if you said no. I went up to right. his big house up in Connecticut, mm-hmm. had lunch with him and his family, and there was a little ice hockey guy there that worked in his office. 
Frank, what, what the hell was his name? Can't think of his name. Anyway, the, the Pat Patterson was there, and I knew Pat Patterson, Australia, and I got along good with Pat. So, and then Vince was there, and his wife was there. Shane was just a young guy, and the, the girl was just little. What's her name? Stephanie. Mm-hmm. She's just a little bitty thing then when I went up there 25 years ago or whatever it was. And it just never worked out, let's put it that way. Uh, yeah, that's. Uh, I definitely think that um, he could have been a pretty established uh, manager. I think I think your Sir William... Um, you know, uh, gimmick was was pretty good at the at the time, because you know you you had so much tenure in the wrestling business at that time, you know, and, and uh, becoming a manager uh, was was a pretty good idea. So you have a book, and I'm going to read a quote from the book and and you know get your thoughts on it. I had a chance to read a bit of it, and so let the let the listeners know what. The title of your book is uh, what is it? You know what is it about, and where can they find it? Well, the title of the book is "If You Don't Want the Answer, Don't Ask the Question," and the, 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 that comes from type of a wrestling type thing. Because most of the young guys will come up to you and say, "Did you watch a match? How was the match?" They want you to tell them, blow smoke, and tell them how great they were. Well, most of the time, if I think it sucks, I will tell you that it sucks. So that's mm-hmm. why I say, "If you don't want the answer, pal, don't ask me the question." Because I'm going to give it to you. So that's how the the book is all kind of like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And where can they find it? Well, hang on here a minute. I have a website. Isn't that off? That do the thing with lovely voice. Yeah. I know Amazon has it. That's where I got it from. Tell that young man what his name's Chris. I guess he's in. Hey, Chris. Hi. How are you? Our web. Uh, our website is www.billsuperstardundeeenterprises.com. Awesome. Again, listeners, that is www.billsuperstardundeeenterprises.com. Dot com. Yes. Fantastic. Fantastic. And are you are you Bill's wife? Yes. Awesome. And your name? My name is Donna. Awesome. Well, great talking to you. Great talking to you, Chris. Thank you Here's very much. Bill. Thank you. Awesome. All right. So. Yeah. Terrible. So you can't remember your own website, but I don't do much on that computer. I but my just the, the the one I use every day. It's like yeah, you know, yeah. So I may do that one, but I never do nothing with a book. She does all that, and and I think Amazon sells them and a few other places. Yeah, that's where like I that. from. Uh, if anybody goes to that Amazon. website, you can see what we sell. We got videos and all kinds of things, T-shirts, just like everybody else. Oh yeah, yeah. I've been there, and uh, definitely some some great paraphernalia. Um, so, you one of the one of the quotes that you have on the on the book says, "Today I hear fans complain there are not the characters in wrestling like they used to be," and to be honest, I think they're right. So, I, and I think you know I, I definitely pulled that quote out from reading. I definitely pulled that quote out because I see I see so much. 
uh, of, of that in today's wrestling culture. So, and you kind of talked about a little bit earlier in the interview as far as, you know, just the, 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 the kayfabe being so real back in the day and characters being kind of larger than life. What do you think the issue is? What do you, you know, you kind of, you kind of mentioned as far as, you know, everything's scripted and just kind of handed to you and kind of Vince McMahon. And that's the Vince McMahon way as far as these days. Why do you think that's the case? Is it just a matter of, you know, things being so concentrated on sponsors and, and stockholders that the, the characters don't really have an opportunity to 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 kind of translate? Well, right, and they don't, they're not around long enough, some of them. But here's the other thing. Vince wants to own everything. So if he makes you Donald Duck, he owns Donald Duck. That's if he true. makes you Daffy Duck, he owns Daffy Duck. See what I'm saying? Whatever name he gives the Undertaker. Unless he gives Vince McMahon to give Mark the rights to use it, he can't do nothing with it once he leaves Vince. Yeah. Now, I think Stone Cold point. used his own thing. That was Stone Cold. Vince didn't own that. Uh-huh. Yeah. The Austin deal. But if he owns the gimmick, it belongs to him. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think There's... a lot of it has to do with that. But like I said, I never quite got the work of the man. I went up and talked to him. It never quite worked out, but that's another story. Yeah. So, so uh, going back, you know, you've been in the business, what, 35, 40 years now? Well, I started in 1962. Ooh, so that's uh, 54 years. Fantastic. <laughs> that is. Maybe uh, a little more than that. Well, I'm 72 now, so I was 18 when I started, something like that. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's 54 years. That is, uh, well, 52 years. Um, yeah, that's, you say you're 72 now, you were 18. Yeah, so the, yeah. 54 years. That is, uh, that is quite, yes. Yeah, speaking of that, it's a great segue to what I was about to say. So uh, you you still wrestling part-time. So I saw that you wrestled in, mm-hmm. in 2001, you wrestled in 2007, and you wrestled in a couple times in 2013, and recently, at Russellcade in 2015, you're a part of a battle royal. What is it about just the, the pro wrestling business that just, even at 72 years old, just makes you keep keep going? Is it just that that crave that you'll, you know, there's been many uh, wrestlers that you know said that, uh, you know, you'll never retire. You know, when you're once you're a wrestler, you always have that itch and you'll never retire. I've heard that from some legendary wrestlers before. And what is it about, yeah, you know, you. your fix? Well, I still wrestle every weekend. I do Friday and Saturday, sometimes Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, but I usually wrestle three times a week, two, three times, at least two. And the other thing is, I watch 72-year-old men walk down the street, and I think, if anybody wanted to take that man's walk, it wouldn't be hard. Well, jump on me and try to take mine and see how hard it's going to be if you don't have a gun. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So I do it yeah. to go to the gym and work out and still lift weights, ride my bike, and wrestle to kind of stay in shape and look after myself. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. That's a great point actually. It's at seventy two, you know, it's uh that's that's some really good training. That's a really good uh defense training as well. So the winner of that battle right. royal, uh E C three, Ethan Carter the third, actually won that battle royal and he's um, you know, we kinda of talk about the WWE kind of owning things. He was Derek Bateman and the WWE didn't really 
have an opportunity to shine. Went to TNA and became one of the most uh, polarizing stars in the history of TNA as EC3. Uh, how was it working with him? Uh, what What's his real name? Ethan Carter. Well, his, his, Ethan Carter III is his this is um his actual you know uh stage name uh, at this point um his his real name um i don't remember it's uh I don't really remember michael the hutter name, to be honest his with name. You. michael michael hutter is his name his real name yes yeah, so, i mean i when you're just in one battle royal it's just like you're in you're out you're gone and i haven't seen him before or since so i you know what i mean it wasn't really no, nobody got hurt. That's the main thing. Nobody did nothing yeah. stupid in the royal. But so, yeah, and that's the other thing I was telling you. He he went to Vince and never set the woods on fire. Then he went over to TNA or wherever you said he went, and they pushed him real hard, and he got over like a house of fire. See what I'm saying? If the office don't push you or want you to get over, you can't get over. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. You know, again, you know what you're saying is 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 very true as far as just ownership and wanting. You know, if you're Daffy Duck, you got you better start quacking. Unfortunately, right, so, right. And and yeah. when I was the booker, I mean, I, Ricky and Robert were friends of mine, which was great. The Rock and Roll Express, Cornette, Bobby Eaton's my son-in-law, Dennis Garner was a friend of mine. We all went to Watts' territory and set the place on fire. They, they, they never made as much money as saw them guys like them ever. Bill Watts just used big monster guys like Jim Duggan and Butch Reed. Not saying that they can't wrestle, but they were big, slow, and cumbersome. You know what I mean? They weren't little guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when we went down there, it just was all new. They were yeah. over like rock stars, I'm telling you. Absolutely. Ricky and Robert was, was unbelievable. Oh goodness, yeah, the the Rock and Roll Express is one of the best of all time for sure, way over uh, in uh, the South. So, my last question to you, Bill, is uh, what what is one thing in professional wrestling uh, that you wish you achieved but never did? Uh, nothing. nothing. I I came to be in Memphis, and when I came to Memphis and liked it, and got over in the South. And done everything, worked with world champions, worked with tag team champions, nothing. I, I, it's been very good to me. Awesome. For being in it since 1962 to now and still doing it in 72 years young, I, I still enjoy doing it. Can you do what you did when you're 30? No, you can't do when you did your 30 when you're 70. But I still have fun doing it, and I still don't get bored with it. And and I haven't really, I never really wanted to be the world's champion. I never really wanted, Laura and I were the AWA tag champs. So I've, I've kind of set all my goals. I mean, I made a good living for 40, 50 years, so what can I say? Awesome. You were also champion uh, OVW as well, so you got to, to wrestle, you know, some of the um, names that are, are interact with some of the names that uh, we send to WWE now. Yeah, well, Danny Davis runs the OVW when he was when doing that. And I, he asked me 30 years ago, he said, you need to move to Louisville. We'll open the rest of the school and run right now. Oh, Danny, I'm not moving. Anyway, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he, he hooked up with Vince, made a lot of money, but that was all right. 
But I mean, I've, like I said, I I'd never really wanted to do any more of them. The only bad thing that I think that I should have done is should have went to Hollywood. Mm. But we all thought of that when we were younger and getting the movies, but we didn't. So I was yeah. doing, doing good wrestling. So we never went. But the ones that went, Stone Cold, The Rock, and all the people to see just how good wrestlers are. Oh yeah. Especially The Rock. The Rock is... Uh, Doing other stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. Dewey used to come to my house when he was just a little bitty fella. Nice. And Jamie used to play together. Rocky Johnston and I were tag team champions here, so... Huh. So, any... Uh, he's, 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 he's a real good guy, too, Dwayne. Is He's a real, real good guy. Yeah. Any any uh, stories that you can remember as uh, Rock, Rock as a little kid? We're, we're Rocky and yeah, we were. I used well, to ride dirt bike. Yeah, with with Dwayne. Dwayne, yeah, with this he was just a little fella then, Rocky. So I had a dirt bike. So Rocky Johnson says, "I go get a dirt bike." There's a guy down the road for you want to sell one. So anyway, he went down, he bought it. So comes back, we're in the field at the back of my house. So Dwayne's there and Jamie's there and me. So Rocky cranks the bike up and it's starting to get dark. So. Just takes off on the bike, just lets the clutch out and takes off. He's riding it around this field. So Dwayne says to me, well, I'll go get my dad off that bike. I said, what do you mean I'll go get your dad off the bike? He said, he's never rode one before. He just got on it and took off on the thing. He doesn't know what the brake is, the clutch is, or none of that. So anyway, when he slowed down, come by me. I said, rock to the left, here, leave it in, put your foot on that little knob there. That's the brake. So anyway, we got the thing stopped with a dirt bike. So Dewey was saying, well, tell him how to get off. Wow. That's, that's incredible. That's great. Uh, awesome, man. Well, Bill, I appreciate your time, man. It's been a great time chatting with you. Again, uh, for all the listeners, uh, as uh, his his wife said, it's uh, com where you can find all the paraphernalia. Do you, do you, um, are you into Facebook? Do you have a Facebook page? Yeah, I got a Facebook page. Uh, now, how do you get on it? And, I don't know. Uh, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> so you're B. Not? Dundee, that, my, my web, if you want to email me, it's bdundee88 at gmail.com. So it's bdundee8888 at gmail.com. So Once you send me an email and you want something, I'll get back with you to call you. I like to do telephone calls, so I usually like yeah. to give people my number. So yeah, it's yeah. easier for me to talk, I guess, 72. It's what we did all with life, right? Talk on the telephone. <laughs> now the telephone yeah. does any damn thing you want to do. Take your picture, video, you do whatever. Absolutely, yeah. Do you- do you text? A, I know that you know we we we've talked on the phone a, uh, a couple times, you know, before this interview. But we most of our conversations have been through texting. Do you text a lot? Oh yeah, I'll text. You know, I mean, if I think it's important, and I would like to, I would text you back. But if it's just somebody saying, "What are you doing?" They're lucky able to get an answer. Don't have time uh, to text. <laughs> well, I just no, feel special business, because you text. If it's back. business, I'll text you back. Like you said, we'll call in at eight o'clock or ten o'clock. Yeah, I'll text you back on that. But yeah. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you taking your time speaking with you. I'm, I'm honored and privileged to speak to such a legend, sir. 
All right, Chris, I appreciate it, and good luck to all you listeners out there, and I hope you buy the book, and if you buy it, it's the best one out there, I promise you, any one of them videos. So, Chris, if you ever need it again, give me a holler, okay? Awesome, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, man. All right, mate, take care. Bye-bye. Right, bye-bye. Bring what you got. The measuring stick just changed around here, buddy. You're looking at it. Four corners, three, our mind. Let's go. The whole squad is making it clear We've taken this year You know who we are But you don't know why we here So this is where the big boys play These big boys play Like who defies the living God Get out the big boys way Outsiders with the swoop in We live as kings You see in us But our third man waits in the wings And when the time is right We shock him with the proper attack I go for dolo but ain't solo Cut the promo in black Hollywood Hendrix Prizzle pinning them to the max. And I'm Das Wonderkin with the strength of a hundred men. With one intent to see the will fulfilled of the one who sent his son to give himself. But you rap out your gas and your rags torture. White coffins when I drop a bomb. My mic's awesome. Never lost faith. You in all space. You can all skate. Suffer but never cripple. No bin walls in my cross face. <laughs> From here to Saturday raving. Anticipating. I was frostbit. Now I am glacier. Mixed with some Vader. Get to hawking with these animals. Using God for my defense in Alabama We jamming, that's beautiful Bobby E and me and Priest We the dangerous alliance, nah, the Harlem Heat Tie the do-rag before we do battle You're talking shit, you all what you speak This too sweet Till the genre is took back We repping that wolf pack The foundation shaking, no mistaking Yeah, we shook that Trust in God, we trust Pushing forward, never look back Meekness ain't at all weakness Some people mistook that Stamping out this crook rap He turning the power we're on, on the razor's edge, leg drop after a power bomb. Tired of the lies, man, we bringing the truth through. Diligent and fruitful, the owners in our group too. It's good to be king, sold out this war is brutal. We playing them war games, our army go move too. You crew, I'm in the Raptors with a bat in my hand. And stand to shatter all your plans so they don't matter. And the grand scheme is that easy. We tag teaming, Donner Brothers, we love it. Demand the win, establish it. This the clash of the champions. <laughs> this is where the big boys play, huh? We ain't here to play. Indeed, 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 ladies and gentlemen. That was a great interview by superstar Bill Dundee. Like I said before, man, it's awesome. It's always awesome. Get some road stories and just speak to some legends, man. The guy's been in the business for 50 plus years and he's 72 years young spending his time to speak to the pancakes and power slam show. It's just, I mean, I'm humbled by it. I'm, I'm humbled by it. It's just, it's just awesome to speak to someone uh, that's been through it all. He's been through generations, you know, he's been through two generations of professional wrestling and it's just great. And, and now he uses professional wrestling as a, uh, kind of a, a, a defense, a kind of a martial art, <laughs> even to a sense that he uses it for. And it's, and it's great, you know. So every 72-year-old wrestler out there, uh, wrestle two or three, wrestle three times a week. Uh, gets, you know, keep your endurance and your cardiovascular skills up. And, you know, now it's a, it's a good defense mechanism. It's a good training tactic, tactic for him. Uh, that's awesome. It really is. So, I appreciate the superstar Bill Dundee on the show. So with the 
Cray Wrestling Facebook page. You know, with the, Cray Wrestling is the uh, is, is who we are, and uh, it's it's the culture. It's the um, it's it's the Facebook page, and um, it's really the the, the culture of uh, of this 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 movement that uh, I founded years ago, and uh, it's continuing to grow and grow and grow. So we have some announcements coming up the pike. We got some amazing interviews, um, including next week we got another <laughs> another legend, another general of professional wrestling. We got none other than Teddy Long. So really, really looking forward to Teddy Long interview. It's going to be an amazing, amazing show. But, you know, we started this Facebook Live a few weeks back, continuing to have all types of support and you guys are just absolutely amazing with the uh, sharing your thoughts on Facebook live and it's just really really a great time so I really appreciate you all uh, and continuing to do that so we talked about payback uh, I, I you know we, I talked about payback my thoughts on payback also talked about my thoughts on uh, raw as I do every Monday with the raw review um, after the uh, on Facebook live every Monday and also with pay-per-views. So I shared a lot with Payback. So, you know, as far as getting into it a whole lot uh, tonight, uh, I'll, get in, I'll get into it some, and I'll also get into Raw a bit. I want to talk, I want to spend a lot about uh, a chunk of uh, the, the rest of the show on Ryback. I'm really interested to, to, to speak about that. And also the favor of the week today is the uh, – uh, AWA World Tag Team Champions who end up winning a singles title uh, in the WWE. So that'll be very interesting statistics at the time uh, to, to talk about. All right, so with Payback, uh, speaking of Ryback, the, the kickoff with Ryback, and, I'm, and I talked about this on Sunday evening, I really thought that this is one of the best segments of the entire pay-per-view. I was really, really amazed by Ryback's heelish antics. I absolutely adored it. It was amazing. You know, the whole on the knee, the, the, the looking at the watch, the it's clobbering time. It was it was absolutely amazing. And Ryback, you know, for a while now, Ryback has been pretty notorious with ribbing CM Punk. And we and we saw it, and it was great, and just kind of mocking him even. And it was just absolutely amazing to see that. Drew so much heat in Chicago, and it was really, really awesome to see and experience. Yeah, I was really drawn into that. Um, even from, I mean, from the very beginning, that was the first thing that Ryback did. I mean, it was the first way to be introduced uh, into the the payback show, uh, with the exception of uh, you know before that was Dolph Ziggler and Baron Corbin, which I I I just don't understand it. I, I really don't understand it. You. And, and it, it gets so frustrating to me 
to see someone who just simply does their job and Baron Corbin as a heel, he does it well. He does it very well. There's not many, I've said this before, there's not many pure heels left in the WWE. A lot of the heels, they, they, they're liked because of their wrestling ability, because of, because they're an indie guy, they're liked. So they're heels, but a lot of times they're only heels because they wrestle good guys. They wrestle baby faces and they try to act as if they're heels, but they don't really translate that toward the audience because the audience love them. You know, people like the Seth Rollins of this world and the Kevin Owens of this world, they are heels technically, but they're so good and they're, they're so well known from their indie background that they get cheered. I love pure heels because they're really good at being a heel and they legitimately get booed. Baron Corbin is the last of a dying breed. He is a pure heel who gets heat, really, really good heat. And he's so good and he gets so much amazing heat. The only thing that he has to do is spread his arms and he gets heat. He gets booze by simply spreading his arms, looking to the crowd. That is really, really amazing, uh, an, an amazing quality that the WWE is just totally glossing over. Now, why are they glossing over it? Because they had Dolph Ziggler, someone who has not been relevant since he, unfortunately, and this is unfortunate because they really had an opportunity to do some really, really good things and draw some good money with Dolph Ziggler. Unfortunately, he got his concussion, and so there's been, you know, time after time where someone would get a concussion and the WWE would just kind of backpedal on giving that person a push. Of course, we saw that with Dolph Ziggler. We saw it with Daniel Bryan. And since then, it, it just seems like he was never, you know, pinned to be the guy or, or, or someone relevant anymore. So, it, it, it's it's unfortunate for Ziggler, but he really don't have much of a future from a relevant standpoint in the WWE period. And for some reason, Baron Corbin wins the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. And he gets placed into a feud with Dolph Ziggler, who is not over enough to really put Corbin over. And I've said, said this before. You're... You're not getting over if you're if you're beating someone who's not over. You're just, I mean, that's just horrible logic. It's just, it just doesn't. There's there's no way. You just, I mean, that's the reason why I was so dissatisfied with Chris Jericho's run for so many so many times because he loses so many feuds that he's not really putting people over if he keeps losing. And same thing with Kane. Same right now. It's with with Dolph Ziggler. He's so 50-50. He'll win one, lose one, win one, lose one. And that's not a strong character. That's not a strong wrestler to put someone against to in the attempts to get over. 
I would have even see. Here's my thing, and you don't have many choices right now. Someone who's a solid baby face, who has enough steam right now, in order to get him over. And I, you know, out of the 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 selections that they have, and I wish you know maybe they'll be doing maybe they're doing this. Corbin needs to 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 beat someone. To get over, I would love to see Baron Corbin and Randy Orton have a feud, and Orton put Corbin over. I think that that would be an amazing thing to do. Orton versus Corbin at SummerSlam. Orton puts Corbin over. There's absolutely nothing left for Randy Orton to do in the WWE. He has, I mean, Orton is someone who doesn't lose often, so he could put he could put a heel over. And someone who's trying to go to that next level, Randy Orton is the perfect person to do that. He could put that person over because he has a he's been protected most of his most of his career in the WWE as a main eventer. He's been protected for the most part. So you can give him that person to actually put over because he has a pretty good win loss record. Baron Corbin's that guy. Baron Corbin's the guy that that you could use, that you can ascend to that next level with being in a feud with Randy Orton. And even before then, you know, I would even have a program with Kane. Kane is a good choice to, you know, for Baron Corbin to, to defeat. Like I said, unfortunately, Kane, his name isn't strong enough because of his win-loss record. But Kane's an anomaly. You know, I mentioned people like Jericho. Jericho's not an anomaly. He looks like a normal guy. He's an amazing, he's one of the best wrestlers of of all time, in my opinion. Definitely the best in the world of what he does. Do you understand what I'm saying to you right now? But he's not, Jericho's not an anomaly. Kane, yes, he's an anomaly. He's just a big red monster that comes out with fire. So, unfortunately, his name isn't strong, isn't very strong because his booking over the years have been so lackluster as a whole. However, he has that anomaly factor that if Baron Corbin defeats him, it will really help Corbin ascend to someone, an even stronger babyface like Randy Orton. But you messed it up because you had Dolph Ziggler beat Baron Corbin. His first match, you're, you're building up Corbin. You're having him talk, uh, attack Ziggler. We're thinking, yeah, he's just going to plow through Ziggler and on to the next person. But nope, that's not what happened. He loses against Dolph Ziggler. Someone who hasn't been a, a strong baby face almost ever. He turned not too long after he won the world title. Then he was important, but Ziggler, I mean, you know, the when Sting debuted, when he was on Team Cena, he was a sole survivor. That was a good spike in his career, but never really been consistently important. Now he beats Baron Corb- Corbin, and now, you know, it just seems like a rug was pulled underneath Corbin 
Of course, you know, he can rebound from that. He's going to be there for a while. It seems like Corbin's going to be, you know, he's maybe one of the guys that they're looking at to make important and make one of those strong heels. But you just can't do that. You can't have someone lose and win and lose and win and expect for this person to have enough steam and enough strength to be relevant. I mean, it's just logic. I mean, that's what I don't understand with with these booking teams. It's the logic of the business. You build up the, the the heel. You build up the heel strong enough. You give him all the heat you can, just bursting with heat. Give him all the heat. Have him win some pivotal matches. Have him create some some shock. Have him make the you know disappoint the crowd going uh, going home that night, just shaking their head because the heel won, beat the big guys. You know, just made some type of presence to build and draw heat. So when that heel draws that heat and builds up enough heat, then that's when you put over the baby face. You have him lose to the good guy. Simple logic. I've been watching wrestling over 30 years, and that's what I've learned. (laughs) That's what I've learned to be successful. That's why people like Sting is one of the best of all time because one of the best heels of all time, Ric Flair, he would lose, yes, but at the same time, he was such a good heel because he was the champ. He was the best in the business at drawing heat. He was good on the mic. He had henchmen and the four horsemen, three uh, three other people and the four horsemen. He had that he had that mentality to say he was like a godfather type of character. You know, he was he was kind of like the, the 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 mouthpiece and he was the the the, the spearhead of he was kind of the leader. It was it was kind of an even plane but we knew that Flair was the leader. Flair was the, the man. He was the world champion. And he knew how to draw heat. He knew how to win matches and draw enough heat winning those matches. You know, he'll beat Dusty. He'll beat Nikita. He'll beat T.A. You know, he'll beat these notable names to set him up for that that one guy. To set him up for Sting at Clash of the Champions. To set him up for Luger to set him up for these big names for this the, whatever big heel the whatever big baby face you wanted to be over at the time you had Ric Flair get enough heat to lose to the baby face simple stuff but nowadays nope somehow we're supposed to believe in a character that loses to someone who's been irrelevant for years. Come on now. Just ridiculous. Same thing with Kalisto and Ryback. You're coming to tell me that at WrestleMania, on the pre-show, he loses to Kalisto. Someone who is just a jacked-up behemoth and could beat Kalisto 
with blindfolds on, one hand tied behind his back. We're, we're supposed to believe. I know, of course, it's wrestling. We're suspending reality. I get it. But at the same time, give the guy some heat. Losing match after match, that doesn't give you any heat. Yeah, I know that he beat him on SmackDown last week or a couple of weeks ago in order to get him this match, you know, at at payback. But you don't. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I, I don't understand that. And, of course, you know, he wrote the blog, and I thought the blog was very poignant. I thought it was very meaningful. If you somehow, if you've been living under a rock in the wrestling world, there's some there's some issues going on with Ryback and Vince McMahon at the point of time. And check out his blog; he he, you know, lays it out very articulately. And I think he's done. A, I think he did a good job. And I think you know, it's something that should be heard. He should. There's so many times when you're interviewing in the wrestling world, you can't say what you really want to say. That's why people like Damian Sandow, you probably won't get any interviews from him because he just continues to lose. Speaking of Baron Corbin, he put Baron Corbin over on SmackDown. So it's just, you know, someone who's like someone like Damian Sandow who, you know, he he's he's cheered by the fans, but that doesn't make any difference. He's not he's not one of the people that we want to push, so so be it. Just, I, I don't get it, man. I, I really don't understand. Kalisto's not over. Kalisto's not a championship material. Kalisto's a failed project, just like his partner, Sin Cara. And I like Sin Cara. I like Hunico as Sin Cara better than Mystico, because to me, Hunico's a big guy. I mean, he's, I, I, people, I, think, I don't think people understand how, much of a a nice you know a decent size Hunico is as Sin Cara that you know he's 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 bigger than a lot of you know champions you know just pay attention to Sin Cara when you when you know next time he wrestles he's a big guy I mean you know he's he's a he flies around everywhere so he's he's booked as a luchador and a cruiserweight or a light heavyweight, but you know he's he's a pretty nice, he's a pretty decent sized guy that you know could be a marketable mid card champion. I think Sin Cara would have been a more realistic option for me to be a mid card champ, but you know I understand that they were trying to you know spread the demographic and kind of I get it, I get it from a from a. I'm a, I'm a PR major. That's that's my undergrad. It's in PR. So I get what you're trying to do from a branding and PR standpoint. You're trying to widen your audience at that time in order to, you know, probably book some dates and some shows. I, you know, something like that. I understand it. But Kalisto's not the guy. Kalisto was never the guy. I gave him a shot just because I didn't want to be pessimistic when it came to him winning the title. But it was a bad idea from the start. Now you had Rusev beating him. I mean, you know, winning the number one contender match, the attack, the the number one contender U.S. Battle Royal match. I really hope that they book and they. I really hope that they do that with Rusev. Rusev. I really hope that Rusev finally gets an opportunity again to become relevant, because after his loss 
against John Cena at 31. No good. Not very relevant at all. Feuding with Dolph Ziggler and Summer Rae and Lana and uh. when he, you know, there was time, there was there was some there was some funny times when he was with Summer Rae. He had an opportunity to kind of expand his his character, add some more layers on his character a bit. That was funny, but that's just not Rusev. I mean, as much as I was enjoying it, that, that's not Rusev. And now, now I think it, getting back to the whole Bulgarian brute, I think that that gives him an opportunity to just kind of finally make him a strong heel again because they need strong heels. They had an opportunity to do it with Ryback, failed miserably. Had an opportunity to do it with with Baron Corbin, not doing it very good at all. So maybe Rusev's the guy again. Maybe give Kaliso just needs to get rid of the, the U.S. title because it's, it hasn't been relevant in quite some time. And that's really unfortunate, too, because, you know, last year, was it SummerSlam or, yeah, I think it was SummerSlam that they had the match between the title versus title match between uh, Seth Rollins and John Cena. Now, that the U.S. title was just as just as big and just as important as the as the world title, and Cena's more over than than Rollins. So a lot of times the U.S. the U.S. title was was bigger. Yeah, it was SummerSlam last year title for title match. Seth Rollins won, and I believe yeah the next next month was uh, Sting, not of champion. Yeah, it's you know, it it was uh very very important. I, I think he I don't know, yeah, it was Rollins versus Sting for the for the the, the world championship. So I think uh he lost the the the, the lost the title. Rollins lost the title not too long after that, but I mean it was a really good stipulation to it. It was they were really put they were really putting some some time in Seth Rollins. But they need some more heels. They definitely need some some stronger heels because uh, it, it's just it's just really hard to endure. And Titus O'Neil appears in the in the battle royal. Talk. I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm not one to be a big conspiracy theorist, but it just seemed to me that plugging Titus O'Neil in that spot was a way to kind of hurry up and sneak him in. So he doesn't get that big pop that people were waiting to give him. And unfortunately, this is back to the drawing board. He's going to be uh, fairly relevant, fairly relevant. Mid Carter, once again, just where he left off, feuding with Stardust and just total irrelevancy. And it's sad, too, because Titus is a pretty good mid-card hand. I think he's better as a babyface because I think the heel Titus didn't really it didn't really resonate very well. But back to, back to the drawing board. They're not going to do anything with Titus O'Neil. There are so many, you know, so many reports of 
and so many beliefs by fans that they're going to use this as an opportunity to build Titus O'Neil and he'll get this huge pop when he comes back. Nope. He was a part of the Battle Royal and yeah. Not so much. So it's 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 unfortunate that he came back that way. Real quick, we'll talk about AJ Styles and Roman Reigns. Um, before that, I, w- I want to talk about Jericho and Ambrose a little bit. I, uh, uh, and it, again, it's hard for me to, to just really endure this because I, I said this before, I, I don't think Rollins beating Jericho moves the needle for Ambrose. Oh, sorry. I don't believe that Ambrose defeating Jericho moves the needle for, for Ambrose at all. Because of, because one Jericho, they're building him a little stronger this run. Beating AJ was a shocker, but at least you know he kind of broke the mold of knowing that he's going to lose. So at least that was you know that shock factor was good. I was a fan of it. It didn't make much sense in the long run, but I was a fan of it. You know, if anything, it gave him some steam to put over Ambrose. But, you know, that, that match at Payback was just really lackluster. It was hard to really get into. I, I really didn't enjoy it that much. Now it seems like we're going to get some type of extreme rules match. It just seems like they're just regurgitating matches from Payback to extreme rules. Which is WWE. Hey, they've got the network, so they can do that as much as they want. People mostly, most people won't unsubscribe anyway, so it it really doesn't matter. Which is a sad concept, because you're doing it to keep the loyalty of your fans. If it wasn't for the fans, if it wasn't for the, they kept throwing the, they kept throwing the number 1.8 million. If it wasn't for those 1.8 million people. Your boys won't get, wouldn't be able to get paid. Saw an article that the average wrestler makes five hundred thousand dollars a year. I quickly went over and chatted with one of the, with one of my buddies who was a former WWE wrestler, a former established. WWE wrestler and he said oh no that's not that's not true $100,000 maybe 120 but an upper echelon makes the big money but other than that nope that's a very embellished number which I thought but yeah I I just with with Jericho and, and and Ambrose I just don't see it, man. I don't see the money, uh, and unfortunately, I just don't. It's it's unfortunate. It's really, really unfortunate. Who managed power and glory? There's my trivia question for tonight. Who managed power and glory? And with finally with Ambro with, with AJ Styles and Roman Reigns, that match at Payback was absolutely amazing, and I knew it was going to be. And for those who 
say that Roman Reigns can't wrestle, you should stop watching wrestling. You should probably watch, you should probably get your fix on MMA or something like that. I, I don't know. But I mean, it's just trolling. It's just ridiculous, blindless, mindless trolling. Blind, blinding and mindless trolling to say that Roman Reigns can't wrestle. He's proved time and time again. Now, if this was about two years ago when he was treated with Randy Orton, Hmm. Strong, uh, you know, I'd be willing to listen to your argument. Nowadays, absolutely not. Four and four plus star matches with Big Show. Of course, his match with Daniel Bryan was absolutely amazing. Even his tournament match, his world title tournament match against Cesaro was really good. Matches with Alberto Dorio were good. His match on SmackDown against Dorio was good. Even when he went against the Miz on SmackDown uh, last weekend was pretty good. I mean, Roman Reigns gives it his all. He's a he's a really good worker. He's improved leaps and bounds better. So it's really hard for me to to listen to someone who does that. They just probably want to put themselves over because they spend their time looking at screens and typing their feelings away. Extreme Rules to be a pretty good match between AJ and Roman Reigns. We'll see how it translates. At the end of the day, you know, we're going to get something. You know, I was predicting a swerve at payback. Uh, we may get it at Extreme Rules. There has to be some type of payoff to these attacks by Anderson and Gallo. So, you know, we'll see the payoff. We'll eventually see it. So it'll, it'll it'll be interesting. Holding Triple H off of TV is good too, because I think it gives him time to gives us time to continue the suspense. And you know we'll probably see a Shane McMahon Triple H match coming up the pike, which I think will be a very good match. So we'll see. Flavor of the week time. Here we go. It is now time for the Flavor of the Week! So I compiled a list of AWA Tag Team Champions, or NAWA Tag Team Champion, who eventually uh, won a singles title in the WWE. Pretty interesting list. There's There's six people that achieved this. Well... Yeah, six people. So in 1978, Pat Patterson won the AWA Tag Team title with Ray Stevens, the Crippler, Ray Stevens. September 23rd, 1978. A year later, he would become Intercontinental Champion. Aha, very interesting. 1983, Ken Patera, Won the uh, won the AWA Tag Team Titles with uh, Jerry Blackwell as uh, the Sheiks. He actually he actually uh, um, did most of his work in the, with the Heenan family with uh, with Bobby Heenan. And uh, yeah, I believe it was 1980 that Ken Patera won the uh, Intercontinental Title. 
And he also uh, was uh, champ, was tag team champ. So it's June, June 26, 1983 with the Sheiks. And then, uh, yes, the 1980s when he won the uh, Intercontinental Championship. And then uh, he won it with uh, the tag team title with Brad Rangans as the Olympians on May the 25th of 1989. So he actually used his, this was kind of like the reverse. He actually used his, um, his, his height, the height of his career in 1980, winning the Intercontinental Championship, to use that to become a, a notable name with, uh, with the AWA. 1986, we saw Scott Hall and Kurt Hennig win the AWA Tag Team Championships. And, of course, both of them would become Intercontinental Champions in the WWE as Mr. Perfect Kurt Hennig and Reza Ramon. And both of them are in the WWE Hall of Fame. Marty Jannetty and Shawn Michaels is the last two. As the Midnight Rockers, they won the AWA Tag Team Championships on uh, January 27th, 1987. And once again, the same day in December in 1987 as well. And both of them would be would uh, go on to become Intercontinental Champions. And of course, Shawn Michaels, WWE Hall of Famer, one of the greatest of all time, multi-time WWE World Heavyweight Champion. So, interesting list for today. I thought it was uh, something different and something uh, very apropos to the AWA tag team uh, scene. Bill Dundee, thank you, man. 72 years old, 72 years young, talking about some wrestling on the Pancakes and Power Sam show. It doesn't get any better than that. Next week, Teddy Long will be on the show. I'm really, really excited about that. We're going to have some amazing stories for Teddy Long. Until next week, you all have a wonderful, wonderful week. Enjoy your week of wrestling, and God bless you all. But goodbye. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.